I want to start the, our time together with a, a question for you guys. Um, show of hands, how many people here, and this is interactive, we can do this together, how many people here would like to have God with them? Anybody? Anybody would like to have God with them? You'd like to have God with you in your work, maybe with you in your marriage. I, I know I'd like to have God with me in my marriage. Maybe if you have kids, God with you as you're raising kids. Somebody say amen, right? You would like to have God with you when you are going to into the doctor and you're waiting on that really important report, you know what I mean? Um, and in fact, I think that's something we can all relate to. We all definitely, I mean, I don't think any of us sitting in here would really say, you know what, I don't want God with me. In fact, I think if we had the choice, many of us would say, yes, I would like to have God with me right now. But the question becomes, what does that even mean? Today, we're going to look at a Christmas carol, a famous Christmas carol that you are probably familiar with. In fact, it's probably been background noise for the past couple weeks, as I know all of you have told your Amazon Alexas and all the different things you have to play Christmas music in the background. You probably have a Spotify playlist that you go to every time when you want to vibe, right? You want to get all the Christmas feels, you put that playlist on. And I'm willing to bet this song that we're about to talk about today was on or is on that playlist. And we're going to cover the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's interesting because this song has some history. It was originally a hymn written in Latin. And in order to understand it, we have to go back 1,200 years to some of the monasteries in the Christian monasteries. What they would do is they would start the time of Advent or about seven, eight days before Christmas, they would start singing. They had a specific song every single day and that's where we get the idea of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. They would sing all about God. It all had different things about God. The first day started on December 17th, and it sung about God's wisdom, and it was called O Sepientia. The second day was on December 18th, they would sing O Adonai, which is a plural form of God's name in the Old Testament. On the 19th, they would sing O Root of Jesse, on the 20th, they would sing, O King of David. Then the last, on the 21st, O Dawn of the East. And then on the 22nd, O King of Nations. And then on the 23rd, right before Christmas Eve, because on Christmas Eve, they would sing a version of the hymn or the song that Mary sung and that Elizabeth sung. But on the 23rd, they would sing, almost like a precursor, almost like a calling, O Emmanuel which means God with us. The English version that you're familiar with and that we're going to sing today was actually written by John Mason Neal, was translated, and then turned into what we hear today. And it was translated in 1851. So this song has been around for hundreds of years, building the faith of so many Christians before us. And it's so, so influential. In fact, it's one of the most well-known hymns across the entire world because it has such a unique beat that he put it to. And as soon as you hear it, you probably will remember the words. But O Come, O Come, Emmanuel essentially is saying, O Come, O Come, Lord, be with us. So as we move into this time, we're going to sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. But I want you to remain seated because I want you this time to connect with it a little bit different. Don't let it be background noise. Okay? Don't let it just be another cool song you sang at church, although it's going to be a cool song you sang at church, but don't just let it be that and, and only be that. 
Listen to the words, and even if you listen closely enough, you'll hear some of those other songs that influenced it in the actual verses of what we're going to sing in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So you don't have to stand. You can sing as you're seated as we continue worship. Heather, will you lead us?
this time, if all of the little kids, um, all of the little kids that will be singing um, the silent night at the end of the service, if you could just meet me right on the back wall, um, I'll be back there in just a moment. And we're going to go back and practice. I can't wait till we get in the new building so this drum kit ain't up on my rear. That's all I got to say about it. All right. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, as you guys know, means God with us. But again, the problem is that many of us around this time of year don't always feel like God is with us. And maybe it's the busyness, maybe it's the history we've had, uh, but we just don't feel like God is with us. Sometimes we feel like God's actually sitting in the next room in his recliner watching the football game, but he's not really paying attention to your financial issues in the holiday season. Or he's not paying attention to the fact that your marriage is going through some real struggles. Or he's not paying attention, or it feels like maybe he's not paying attention to the fact that you still have a prodigal that hasn't come home yet. Or maybe this time of year is so hard for you because of the loss of a loved one. And it feels like that it's not really Emmanuel, God, with us. It feels like he's just watching from the sidelines. doesn't feel for some of us, if we sat down and we're honest, and we should be because we're in church, it doesn't always feel like that he's with us. In fact, if you grew up in a church like I did, you feel like that you, in order for God to be with you, you actually have to keep the rules, right? Isn't that what we think? And if you grew up in a church like I did, they gave you the Bible and they said, here's the rule book. Follow it, right? And then you sit and you go, there's a whole lot of rules here, like a lot. Like 613, not counting the other ones that were added later on. So it's like, that's a lot of rules. I don't know if I can keep all those rules. And maybe that's the, that's the style that you, the church you grew up in, or maybe that's why you walked away from faith. Maybe that's why you're here today, because you're like, look, I'm going to give it one more try. Or maybe you're just like, now nah, I'm here because they're going to take me out to dinner afterwards, and it's Christmas Eve. But if, if, if that's you, I understand, because I was in the exact same place. See, for me, it was all a rule book, and it was if I followed the rules, then that meant God was with me. And if, I, if somehow some bad thing happened to me, I had broken a rule, and something had happened to me because God had ordained it because I had broken a rule. And that's, that was just pretty clear cut for me. But it didn't always make sense as I got older. And as I got older and my faith matured, and as I matured, I was like, hold on a second, what about those people that didn't do anything? Why do they get a, a bad shake? What happened there, right? And then, and then all of a sudden, the idea that following the rules begins to crumble a little bit. Because the Bible is not a rule book. It's not a rule book. It's got rules in it. It's not a rule book. It's got, it's, it's got good stuff in it that will help you guide your life. You should follow, absolutely. But it's not a rule book. It's a storybook. It's a narrative. It tells the story of creation lost, paradise lost, to paradise found. And the rules are nestled inside of different sections in there because, let's be honest, we all need a little guidance sometimes, right? But it's more than just a rule book. It's the story of Emmanuel, God with us. 
And now, if you don't remember anything else in this message, okay, I want you to lean in right now. I'm going to give you the bottom line up front because I know it's, it's four in the afternoon. We didn't have coffee this morning. You know, it's not right after coffee. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys have been chasing kids all day, wrapping presents, right? Maybe you went and visited Santa before you came here to get pictures and tell them everything. I know you're probably tired, so lean in. This is the bottom line. This is why we're here. When it comes to God, it's relationship first, rules second. Relationship first, rules second. And we're going to explain that and we're going to dive into that a little bit. But in order to see that and really understand it, and if you pay attention, it's cover to cover, ladies and gentlemen. Relationship first, rules second. Well, what about God and the Israelites? I'm so glad you asked because that's where we got to go if we want to understand that. We can't start with Caesar Augustus issued a decree, which is where most Christmas messages start. We got to go a little bit further than that to see really Emmanuel with us. The best place to see that is in the Exodus story. So let me catch you up in the Exodus story. Abraham had many sons, many sons had father Abraham. Come on. I'm going to have Leah start teaching that to all you guys. I mean, I wasn't even a church kid and I knew that one. All right, anyway, so Abraham, God said, hey, I am going to bless you, and through you, we're going to be, you're going to bless the entire world, and I'm going to make you a mighty nation. So that happened. Then we fast forward to Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, so you think your family's jacked up. He was sold into slavery by his brothers, and then what happened after that is he ends up being elevated to the place of second in command inside of Egypt, and then Egypt gets hit with a famine. Once they get hit with a famine, all of a sudden, Joseph's brothers come back and say, hey, we need some help. And so Joseph says, hey, I'm going to help you guys out, even though you tried to, you know, you sold me into slavery, no hard feelings, right? So he brings them in, and so that's the story of the Exodus. That's the beginning of the Exodus. The Israelites come into Egypt to flee from the famine, and Egypt provides for them, and then they continue to grow and to multiply over the next couple hundred years. After that... The Pharaoh dies, and all of a sudden people forget the ties to Joseph. So the Israelites are no longer viewed as a good thing and a good positive add to the land. They're actually viewed as a negative thing, and they're a problem, and we have to do something about them. So the Egyptians enslaved them, and as they put them into slavery, that made God angry because those were his people. He made a promise to Abraham. He said, I will be your God. And you will be my people. And I will be here, Abraham. I will be here for you. The problem is now Egypt has something that belongs to God. Not a good place to be. And you know the rest of the story. Moses and Pharaoh link up, right? God equips Moses. Moses and Pharaoh link up. And then right away, God say, or Moses says, let my people go. And the Pharaoh gives him a big fat no. Not happening. And then starts a chain of events in which God puts on a demonstration that got everyone's attention, everybody's attention. The Egyptians, the Israelites, everybody got everyone's attention. He began systematically disgracing and dethroning the Egyptian gods with the plagues. Because here's what we forget. In that time, there were territorial gods. Your God was real strong over here in your land, but you stayed in your land. Now, if you come over to my land, my God's stronger, and he's going to fight you off, and that's how this is going to work. It was very territorial. But here the Israelites are worshiping Yahweh. That was his name. They were worshiping Yahweh, and they didn't have a land. 
So obviously that God's not very strong, right? Spoiler alert, he is. And so they end up having all these plagues that, again, systematically disgrace every one of the Egyptian, the prominent Egyptian gods. Why? Because Egypt had something that belonged to God. He wanted them back. In fact, Liam Neeson does his best impression of God when he's on the phone. And he says, you don't understand what you've taken from me. And God puts on a demonstration that's going to get everybody's attention all across the world. And once the Hebrews are free, once the Israelites are free, the first thing God says to them is not, here's the rule book. Pay attention to it. Don't screw it up. If you screw it up, I'm not going to be nice to you. Right? That's not what he said. In fact, let me put it into terms that you would really understand and that really made it to me. I had a pastor explain it to me one time. You did not set up a rule book and then have children, did you? You didn't have a rule book before you had kids. You didn't have things you wanted it to be like, right? We all have things we want it to be like. But you didn't sit down with your wife or your husband and say, man, we've got a great set of rules. We need, you know what? Let's have, let's have a kid so they can keep these rules. That didn't happen. That didn't happen at all. You had a kid, realized they're all over the place, and you're like, we need some rules. We need some rules right now, right? That's what happened. The same thing happened in our relationship with God. He didn't set the rule book out and say, all right, now, who's going to keep them? We need somebody to keep the rules. In fact, after the Israelites are freed from Egypt, the first thing God says is not the rules. Everybody thinks as soon as, they're rele- as, soon as they get freed, the, you know, the, they get away from the Egyptians, they cross the Red Sea, they think, okay, hey, they hit Mount Sinai and then the Ten Commandments come. That's absolutely true. But right before the Ten Commandments, there's a whole sentence that we skim over. There's a whole sentence that actually has huge implications that we just breeze past. Instead of a rule book, God starts with this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Before God's first rule, he wanted them to remember, I came for you. I came searching for you. I didn't leave you in slavery. He wanted them to remember that he was pursuing them first. He didn't get them so that they could keep his rules. But so many of us, that's the God we grew up with, that you have to keep the rules, and if you don't keep the rules, he doesn't love you, and then whatever happens is your own fault, right? But that's not the case. And then God goes on to give the rule book because he's forming a nation that didn't have any type of structure to it at all. They were in slavery for at least 400 years, so they didn't have anything. They had no natural leaders. They had Moses and Aaron, so God has to set up a structure. They have to inherit something to be successful. He didn't leave them in bondage is what he wanted to remind them. He went after them. You fast forward to the prophet Isaiah in 750 B.C., Israel is divided and cast to the winds. Israel has not done very well at this point. In fact, Israel, they didn't trust God. They didn't keep his commands. They set out to their own rules and desires, and consequently, they were scattered to the wind, sometimes by God, sometimes by just happenstance of the world. And they find themselves broken and beaten in a shell of the nation they used to be. And as they're standing in there and as they're existing in this messy, messy place that God you know, has them in, 
These are, the, these are the words that Isaiah writes. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, they had no idea what that meant. They did not know what God was saying through the prophet Isaiah. But it wouldn't happen right away anyway. It would take another 700 years before this would come to pass. And then it's in the Christmas story that we begin to see this show up. See, for those of you Bible nerds, you didn't think I was going to get from Exodus to the Christmas story this fast, did you? I didn't either when I first started this. Joseph, not the Old Testament Joseph, Mary and Joseph, he's going to go and divorce Mary quietly because he didn't believe her story about carrying the Son of God. Because, let's be honest, we probably wouldn't either. So that's why, and God understood that. That's why he sent an angel, because that's kind of undeniable proof. And the angel shows up and tells him this. He wants him to pay attention. He says, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. It's like reassuring Joseph. Joseph, Joey, this is all part of the plan, man. Just relax, okay? Just chill out, Joe. It is fine. Trust the process. God's working in the background. If you don't believe me, I'm an angel. Here I am, right? That's what happened. And Joseph was like, all right, dude. I'm down. I'm there. And then Matthew jumps into the story, because this is from the Gospel of Matthew. He jumps into the story, and he writes a clarifying thing for us. This is not what the angel said, so the next words we're going to read are in the Gospel, and they're Matthew's words. Looking back on everything that has happened, looking back on everything he experienced so that it would provide clarity to this moment, knowing that many of us in this world don't know the significance of what's being done and what's, what's happening. So Matthew jumps in and kind of gives us little cliff notes. He says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. This time, Matthew gives us the definition in case we lose it, which means God with us. Now, they were expecting a conquering military leader, not a baby in a manger. They wanted another Joshua. In fact, Jesus' name was not Jesus. It was Yeshua. That's how you would pronounce his name in those days. So it's a transliteration of Joshua. So that's what they were expecting, another king. They were expecting a military leader. He's going to come in, and when he comes in, he's going to throw off his robes, and it's just going to be suit of armor, and he's going to free everybody. It's going to be great. This is what we've got to pay attention to, is that is not even close to what Jesus came to do. He came to free everyone from their sins, not Israel from Roman oppression. It wasn't about the rules either. Notice they just said, God with us. God did not step off of his throne. Jesus did not come because they did such a good job keeping the rules. That's not how it worked. He came because they needed him there. It wasn't about the rules. They didn't follow them well. They didn't, in fact, you don't believe me they didn't follow him well. Read through the Gospels. Jesus tells them every time that the religious leaders didn't follow them well because they were the ones persecuting everybody else. And Jesus didn't even really persecute anybody. He just kind of looked around and said, hey, I understand, guys, this is really hard. And then the religious leaders, he was like, hold on, y'all. Y'all need to chill. Because they couldn't keep it either. Because it wasn't about the rules. It's never been about the rules. It's about God's love for you. It's about God's love for me. 
It's about God's love for the you sitting next to you. It's about his love for all of us. God with us. And this time, nothing would stop him from achieving ultimate victory. It would be eternal. No do-overs. No one more time. None of that stuff. It would be eternal. God came to free you, and he came to free me from the bondage of sin. And Paul clarifies this finality of Christ's work. He clarifies it for us in a way that nobody can deny. Paul, writing to the church in Rome, he says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall do it? What shall do it? Shall trouble or hardship? Uh, or maybe persecution or famine? What about nakedness, the danger, or sword, uh, war? I mean, something has got to separate us from the love of Christ. Something, I mean, surely something's going to separate us from the love of Christ. Because that was everybody's question. Where's the rules? What do we have to do? I mean, come on, there's got to be something. Jesus, there's no way Jesus put the cookies on that low of a shelf. Come on, God has to have a rule book somewhere, Paul. Where is it? And Paul continues. He says, no. No, absolutely not. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him, Christ, who loved us. He loved us. And because he loved us, we are set free. For I'm convinced, this is Paul, pharisaical Jew, okay? He was a converted Pharisee. He was the one Jesus was correcting all along the way. Knew the law front and back. In fact, he says in one of his letters, if you talk about the best Pharisee, that's me. Listen to what he says. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation, nothing else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you think that you are going to earn your way into heaven, it's not, it's not it. If you think that you keep enough rules, that's not the reason for this season. If you think that it all revolves around how well I can do the things written in the Ten Commandments, no. As we learned last week, Jesus really gave us two great commands. When the Pharisees approached him, they said, hey, Jesus, what are the two greatest commands? Or what is the greatest command? And Jesus says, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a twofer. The first one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one, he says, is like it. To love, the Lord, uh, to love your neighbor as yourself. Then he would go on to put on a demonstration of love that would take his disciples' breath away. And the world's breath away. It was significant. It was a really big deal. So when we sit back and we think, I got to keep all the rules, what does it say about this? No, no, no. Just remember, love God and love people. Those are the greatest commands. If it damages your relationship with your heavenly father, don't do it. If it damages someone else around you, don't do it. That's what he called us to keep. Not a rule book. The Bible's a storybook. 
It's got rules in it. It's got guides in it. Sure, of course, absolutely. But it's not just about the rules. It's about so much more than that. So much more than that. And in every other type of religion and all the other gods, they're focused on behavior. You can misbehave your way out of God's good graces. You can misbehave your way out of the love of God, but not in ours. Our God loves us. And sure, you can decide you don't want to follow him and he loves you, so he's not going to force that on you. But if you make the decision to follow him, then this is what I've recognized. When the relationship comes first, the rules are the easy. Now, that doesn't mean you get it right all the time. I'll be first to tell you I don't get it right all the time. Most of the time, I don't get it right. But what I do know is that when the relationship comes first, keeping the rules is so much easier. It's like, a, it's like an afterthought. So when it comes to God, relationship first, rules second. They're important. There's guardrails. They're there for a reason. But it's relationship first, rules second. That's why he came to be with us. And he can be with you too. Again, I open this message with asking, and everybody, for the most part, as best I can see with these lights in my eyes, raised their hand. Everybody was like, yeah, no, I need and want, and I'm down. I, I need God. I want God with me. And I mean, like I said, Jesus put the cookies on the low shelf for us. He made it so, so simple for us. And it's the same invitation that he gave the, his followers over 2,000 years ago. He said, follow me. Follow me. And you guys know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We may have eternal life through him. It's through Jesus. That he's the reason for this season. That's why we're here. Not the rule book, but the relationship. So if you've never heard it that way, or maybe something that was said kind of put a light in your head and you're like, okay, now I got it. I'm there. I can do that. I can't do the rule book deal, but I can do that. If something like that clicked, I want to give you the opportunity here to accept Christ as your Savior. It's three things. It's real simple. You just recognize, yes, Lord, I need you. I need you in my life. I want you here. I believe that Jesus was the Son of God and he died on the cross for me and I commit myself to live for him and following him. It's not all about the rule book. And a lot, of the, a lot of stuff that happened for many of us in the past, it was done by good Christians and good people who tried the best that they knew how. But they missed that it wasn't about the rules because rules are tangible. Those are easy to focus on. It's easy because it gives us a one plus one equals two. God doesn't operate that way. He came into the world as Emmanuel before one rule was being kept. He came to be with us, even in the mess that we are. So if that's you and you would like to accept Christ today, I'm gonna to have everybody close their eyes and bow their heads as we pray.
if you want to accept Christ as your personal Savior here today, I want you to pray this prayer. You can pray it in your head or you can pray it out loud. Lord, I need you. I recognize the need for your love, that you are truly with us, that you love us, that you care for us. God, we, I believe, I believe that you sent Jesus into this world on our behalf, and Christmas is a reminder of that, that you came to be with us. And I commit myself to live for you, to follow you. And we give you all the praise. Lord, I wanna pray for anybody that just prayed that prayer. I pray that your spirit would be on them, Lord. I pray that you would guide them and direct them. I pray for any seed that is planted in this place today, Lord, that you would water it with your spirit to continue to get closer to you because you came to be with us first. You made the first move. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you in this place. And the church said, amen.